we'd like to welcome you to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. In this episode, we talk about becoming an absentee owner, where your shop practically runs itself and you get to enjoy some well-deserved free time. Here's what's coming up. I definitely wouldn't describe it as easy, but if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So luckily, we had a very specific plan, and I'm a guy that kind of does things step by step. We came up and said, okay, we got to get this done by this date, and then we'll move on to this and this and this, and I just kind of took it one step at a time. And it was about a two, three year ordeal for me to go from doing everything in my shop to not doing anything on a daily routine. And uh, it was super uncomfortable every step of the way, but my why was big enough. My reason of why I wanted to become an absentee owner was strong enough to where it was, I was willing to take all those uncomfortable steps. For a better business, a better life, and a better industry, the Institute's leading edge. Today with us on the leading edge uh, are Seth Thorson. Seth, see, I get tongue-tied. I get, I do great until I'm in a position of, uh, you know, with some pressure on me, and then I'm screwed. Um, Seth Thorson. Seth has a shop in uh, two shops in Minnesota. Uh, Seth, how long were you gone the last time? Uh, I just got back. I've been gone about five weeks. About five weeks. So, so Seth is. I don't think anybody that, uh, you know, the, the, the topic here is absentee owner or, you know, what does that look like? Um, I don't think anybody's a complete absentee owner. If you are, you're probably not doing the job right. But Seth is not in the shop very often. Uh, we have uh, Tom Lambert. Tom has Shade Tree Automotive here in uh, Utah. Tom, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, how long was your last trip? Uh, you know, my last trip was a short one. I only took like five days, but we'll, I usually do two weekers uh, a couple times a year. Okay. And, uh, uh, I know Tom is, uh, often off, uh, goofing off and not in the shop. He has a manager that runs things. And, uh, last but not least, we have, uh, Patrick Howard of the Institute and, uh, Patrick owns two shops in the Los Angeles area. Patrick, how you doing? Fantastic. Um, so let's talk about this absentee owner thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that anybody can be a complete absentee owner. Um, is it true that you can just have a manager and never be in the shop, never pay attention to it, be a real absentee? Anybody there? Seth, what do you say? No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm gone, but I'm still checking in with the management team, and we still have to coordinate our, our leadership meetings, which are every second Wednesday of every month. So, I mean, there, you know, there, there's times you still have to be in there and check in and, and make sure you're doing, doing certain things. I mean, for me, it's at least once a month with the management and leadership team that I'm for Thanks. sure touching base with them. So what else are you doing um, to pay attention to your shop besides show up once a month uh, for a Wednesday meeting uh, and check in with your managers? I mean, for me, it's, it's, I check in with them. I, I probably run the KPIs, you know, weekly, check where the KPIs are at, look at those. And if there's a problem, I, I talk to the, the manor, manager in charge of that department. But I mean, the biggest thing I've learned with, with the two shops and being able to be absentee to some degree is following the chain of command is as hard as it is. I'm staying in the shop now watching something, uh, watching something go wrong as hard as it is not to want to jump in and fix it. I still have to go to the person responsible for it and let them run it down the chain because that keeps everybody talking to the right people rather than jumping to me the whole time. Otherwise you're okay. the owner of your own chaos. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. We have a, a shop owner that we were discussing this morning. That's the owner of his own chaos. In fact, he creates it so that he can solve the problems. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Patrick, what do you think? Uh, what do you do? I mean, I know you have two shops, so you can't be at both of them at the same time. Uh, so what, what do you think, the, you know, what are you looking at? How, how, what are you looking at? We'll start there and then we'll go. From- well, just like Seth with both the shops, I, uh, you know, review the numbers and the sales, uh, weekly. Um, you know, I, I don't spend a bunch of time at any of my shops. Um, I, I check in with them, uh, make sure everything's okay. You know, this, this didn't happen overnight. You know, it took some time. It took training, uh, but mostly, my job right now is just to ensure that our marketing's good, uh, make sure the cars are coming in, uh, make sure the sales are good, uh, and like Seth said, just checking all the KPIs. If there's an issue, we run it down the chain, so we get to the right people. 
Okay. So you're, you're, you're looking at the numbers on a regular basis, so weekly, uh, some daily? Some uh, of them. I know, I know Seth, he says he's checking the KPIs once a week, but he's not. He's looking at this thing all the time because <laughs> I know he sends me emails when the thing's doing really well. Um, uh, and, and so there are some things that you look at daily, some things you look at weekly, and then you do you have a regular manager meeting, a meeting with your managers to go over what's going on? Uh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, once a week, uh, I sit down with the management staff at both shops, uh, find out what's going on. If there's any issues, we talk about it, how to proceed. Um, I, I, I try really hard to uh, be a sounding board for my management team versus a problem solver uh, okay. so that they can resolve their own issues. Um, that, that helps them uh, be own, own it you know, own, own the management decisions. Well, and then they don't come to you every time there's an issue. Exactly. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Tom, what, what do you do? Um, you know, I know when you take off on vacation, you go to Bora Bora or whatever, <laughs> you're not paying that much attention, but I also know, I know you're at the shop fairly regularly, but I know you're not working in the day to day, uh, in your shop. So what do you do at the, at the shop or, or how do you pay attention? Well, paying attention, most of the numbers I'm looking at are more monthly numbers. Uh, weekly numbers, uh, obviously, Lisa tracks, and if there's something she needs help on, she'll she'll reach out to me if there's some kind of concern or something. So for the most part, I'm kind of reviewing things monthly just to make sure that uh, we come up with our plan a month at a time. So just making sure things went as planned, and if things went good, we, we talk about it, see what, how we duplicate it. If things went bad, we talk about it to see how we uh, fix that kind of thing. But uh, obviously, when I'm here, I'm looking at numbers. You know what I mean? I'm a numbers guy. So if I'm if I'm in the office and I got spare time, I'm going to look at them. But but really, monthly I review the numbers. Other than that, Lisa runs the show, and then uh, I still do the marketing around here because that's what I enjoy. So you know, if I'm in the office, that's typically what I'm working on is looking at marketing numbers, making sure I'm bringing in making that phone ring enough times to, to where we can convert enough cars in. So. Okay. I also know that you have a, um, you have a pretty healthy planning plan for the year. You have a goal, you have targets and you kind of know exactly what you want to happen in your business for the year. Oh, yeah. And, uh, when, when did you put that in place? When did you say, you know, next year we're going to, you know, have an 8% increase or 10, whatever it was. Yeah, we started in September and then finalized, you know, towards the end of November, beginning of December. Uh, so we know yeah. usually a couple months in advance what we're going to do the next year. So we we project out the year and what we're going to do each each month and break down all the little numbers that add up to that big number. And then we adjust, you know, so that's actually what I was doing this morning is I printed off January through June and compared it to what our goal was and seen the months that were above and below and made some actually didn't actually have to make many adjustments which was, was pretty cool to see yeah <laughs> now seth do you also have a pretty good plan for the year you have i know you have goals every month i know that much but do you do you have like this year we're going to do xyz and are you meeting with your managers on that stuff yeah i mean that's part of our monthly meetings um and i meet with my district manager that oversees both stores i meet with him weekly um but he holds he holds meetings with the store managers every week as well. And then my shop foremans hold man or meetings with the technicians every week on Mondays. So, uh, but they all know the numbers and goals and we sit down and, and we plot and plan everything out. And I went away from monthly goals um, because there's months with 20 days, there's months with 22 days. We went to daily sales. So we talk a lot more about what we're going to produce, what we're going to sell and what we're going to produ produce every day, a number don't you, daily. Don't you find that a little problematic though? Because I know, you know, you have a great day, you have a bad day. I mean, today's a lot of services tomorrow's, you yeah. know, the engine gets done that we were doing. Yeah. I mean, um, they, they know it's an average, but they're, so what we're generally looking for on average is the sales team is going to sell, say, I think we're at 14,000 a day at my one store, 14, 15,000 a day. And the tech should, get that much out the door. It may not get picked up and billed, but right. the service staff should, the sales staff should sell that much and the service staff should produce that much. It, in, in our shop, when I was running the, the last shop I ran, I was really focused on daily sales because I kind of knew that the production team would get it done if we got it sold. 
So for me, plus I'm a sales guy. So it was like sell, 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 you know, 15,000 a day, 15,000 a day. And then, you know, deal with the production issues as they, as they arise, you know, let's, let's fix that. Um, Patrick, you also uh, have goals and targets for each of your stores that uh, your managers have. Yeah. Um, you know, since both of my stores are still relatively new, um, those change. Uh, I, I look more at um, right now it's more uh, weekly opportunity and uh, sales uh, okay. within, within the week um, because I don't have anything to compare it to yet. Uh, I've only had one of them. One of them I've had for a year. The other one I've had for eight months. So uh, we kind of just focus on that. And then once we get a baseline, uh, you know, a whole year in business for both of them, then we can start projecting out and, and making sales projection goals. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, uh, Kent uh, wrote up some questions. Uh, he always does. He always does a great job with that. Uh, there's, an easy, there's a question here I thought was rather interesting. Um, was it an easy transition for you to move out of your business? So if you take a moment and talk about your transition from the day-to-day -day guy that, that, that manages it and does everything to um, you know, letting someone else be responsible. Um, let's start with Tom. Tom, tell, tell us about your transition. What, what were the difficult points that you had to overcome and, and, and maybe how, how did you have to overcome them? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't describe it as easy, but if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So, uh, so no, so luckily uh, we had a very specific plan. You know, I met this guy named Cecil that knows a few things that uh, helped me lay out a very specific plan to do it. And I'm a guy that, uh, kind of does things step by step. I don't, if you, if you look at, uh, if you just, if you give your, your team a goal, okay, we need to do 300,000 in a month. That seems overwhelming. But if you break it down into cars per day and average apparel and everything, it's easy. It's kind of the same thing you and I did, right? We, uh, we came up and said, okay, we got to get this done by this date, and then we'll move on to this and this and this. And I just uh, kind of took it one step at a time. Uh, and it was about a two, three-year ordeal for me to go from doing everything in my shop to not doing anything on a daily routine. And uh, it was super uncomfortable every step of the way. But my why was big enough. My reason of why I wanted to become an absentee owner, uh, for lack of a, a better name for it, was strong enough to where it was I was willing to take all those uncomfortable steps. So, okay. What do you think was the most uncomfortable thing for you? You know, for me, it was actually the, the hardest part was uh, uh, for me was letting go to dispatch, which is weird, uh, mostly just because I enjoy it and, uh, and did it so much that I didn't have a process for it. It was all in my head. So I actually struggled letting go of dispatch. And then honestly, there was about a three month span where everything came together at one time to where I was no longer needed for anything. Uh, so there was about a three month span where I had to do some soul searching to figure out what the hell I was going to do. Cause I, I did, I had absolutely nothing waiting on me. So to go for your whole life with, uh, you know, 25 hours worth of stuff waiting for on you in a 24 hour day to all of a sudden not having anything that you have to do, was very uncomfortable for me actually I still remember that feeling and kind of remember kind of being a little freaked out about it. It just didn't feel right you know <laughs> I've had I've had a lot I've had a lot of owners um that we've worked with at some point go hey Cecil I don't know what to do with myself uh in my business I I, I I'm not nobody needs me I you know there's no there's no trouble here I and it's it, it is a freaky place to be where you become somewhat I mean, not necessary, at least in the day-to-day -day stuff. And you mentioned process, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit. But, um, Seth, um, tell us a little bit about your um, going from the guy that was, you know, turning wrenches and, and, and uh, answering all the questions to the guy that takes off for five weeks at a time. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, I'm, a, I'm a technician at heart, obviously. I mean, that's yeah. I'm a very technical guy. I mean, it's all the, the hardest part was getting over getting on the shop and fixing cars because that's – you know, that's what I enjoy. It's, it's, yeah, fun, it's fun, right? I want yeah. to solve the, pro although I only wanted to solve the problem. And then once the car was all stripped apart, I didn't yeah. want to put it back together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put this car back together. I figured right. it out the issue. 
<laughs> I figured out what it was. Somebody else can do the these the, the uh, part now. Yeah, and mine was somewhat forced by my by the technical training I do that I fly all over and give 17, 18 seminars a year, and I had to leave on Fridays and not come back to Mondays a lot. And some of that, some of the stuff was just forced on me to some degree to start backing off because I just wasn't there. You couldn't keep up with, yeah. 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 You had to, you actually had to have somebody else do the day to day because you, you couldn't be there. And so we developed systems and processes. So you're telling me the hardest part for you is not working on the cars anymore, not figuring out what's going on with the cars in your shop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and once you get past that, I mean, it's, and then it's a matter of not being the one to solve everybody's problem and letting them solve some of their own issues and, and empowering people to actually lead and manage and, and then uh, backing their decisions, even if they're really bad decisions sometimes so that they learn, learn how to make better decisions, how to make better decisions the next time. So I want, I want to come back to that um, uh, kind of that empowering people, thing so remember that if i yep. if i don't get back to it somebody remind me uh, uh patrick in your um like you said you're relatively new with this right you were running someone else's shop you bought a shop a year ago you bought a second shop whatever it was six months ago and and um so and you've kind of by force almost been i can't be at both shops at the same time but well, you also immediately kind of put managers in place in those shops so what was hard for you was there something hard for you or no, you know what? I, I designed it this way. I, I, I never wanted to be tied to the counter. Uh, I, I never wanted to be a slave to the business. Um, I, I wanted to have the freedom to, you know, expand, do consulting stuff, teaching, what, whatever. I wanted to have the option to do that. So um, I, I had to think about um, how was I going to do this, you know, um, and, and when I bought the first business, I was fortunate enough to have a young man, you know, in position that I just started training, um, you know, for the first six, eight months and uh, kind of threw him into the fire, let him make some mistakes. But, uh, you know, I, I went into both of them by design, um, planning on having somebody, you know, manage the business. Okay. Um, let's let's talk about um, empowering staff because that's one of the things. When you're the guy that's there doing everything and paying attention to everything, there's a control piece of that. You know, I'm in charge. I think that might be why you know Tom had a hard time giving up dispatch because I love dispatch because I know everything that's going on in the shop, and if I know everything that's going on in the shop, if something's going to go wrong, I can get in there and and fix it. But we. If we're not going to be tied to the counter, um, I can tell you another realization I had probably 20 years ago. I was going to the same shop, the same little office, and one day I just woke up and I went, I don't want to go there anymore. You know, being in that office, just the thought of every day going to that same little office and being in there, it was unpleasant. Um, So let's talk about uh, uh, giving people empowering. uh, uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Seth. Seth, how have you empowered, or how are you doing things different today as far as empowering your people than you were, say, three years ago? Um, a lot of it is just somewhat letting them make the mistakes, and a lot of it's been a lot more training. Um, when you're in control of everything, you can do on-the-spot training and and help them. When you step back and and really let them lead and go, then you have to provide extensive training for them. Um, I got two service writers in your program, as you know, one's a store manager, one's just a writer, but even our store managers go through extensive training and we've developed um, some e-learning stuff that we do now. And I have a bunch of leadership courses I've done with them. And a lot of it becomes training that you have to do with them because you're not there day to day to coach them. So the, the training is, is probably the biggest thing to empower them and, and, we, you know, I disagree. I saw the one thread on there with somebody that said that you implement your processes and then you write the processes and then force everybody to follow them. I disagree strongly with that. That was posted on not, not you personally, but it was posted on the Institute board. And I'm a bigger one in letting my people develop the processes because they will hold themselves to it. And then they goes to me for review and we will edit things that we don't like or disagree. And then that process has a three or four day implementation period, and then it becomes law, if you will, um, is how we do it. But my people write their own processes because they know their job, frankly, better than I do at this point. So I'm not going to force something on them. 
Okay. Um, uh, uh, Tom, how have you empowered your people? Uh, how, what, what do you do to empower your staff? Well, I think empowerment comes, step one, obviously, as owners, we got to have a clear, uh, a very clear vision, right? Um, so what do I want? Set a very clear vision of, uh, hey, this is where we're going. And then once they know where they're going, obviously, we got to motivate them enough to follow us there. Uh, that's that's empowerment to me. And then other than, other than the clear vision, just got to give them the tools they need. Uh, so everybody needs the tools they need in their position. So uh, uh, the training they need, just like Seth said, uh, uh, they need a, a good, fun, safe work environment. And they got to want to come to work. Uh, so uh, we create a clear vision and uh, create a, a fun culture. And uh, the rest of it's rest of it's easy from there. Uh, training. Uh, tools, process as a tool, right? Uh, it's about all you really need. So. And, you know, and I think there's a management aspect to it. I think all, all three of you are actually good managers, and you're on, but you're only managing, you're not managing everybody in the business. You're managing the, the few people that you need to manage so that they can manage everyone else. There's that structure that, that creates that, I think. Um, Seth, you have your, you kind of raise your hand, I think. Or? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I read a good article somewhere that you're, everybody is only truly, really capable of managing three to five people, depending on how strong of a leader they are. So, you know, that really resonated strong with me. And that's why my shop is broken down into multiple leaders of different people. And I don't really generally have one person leading more than three to five people because I found a lot of breakdowns when I did. Because, I mean, I'm, I, with the two shops and tech support, I mean, I'm at 22 people right now on my team. So, yeah, and we're at 19, and 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 at best, I can manage four or five. At best, if I if I don't allow other people to manage and have accountability and responsibility, then I limit my company severely, uh, and then we're, we're going to do a million a year for the rest of our lives, and and uh, only be able to help a certain number of people because that's all we can do. Um, so I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, there's a, the org chart is one of the things we talk about. Um, you know, that org chart then starts to create accountability and starts to create, uh, I manage these people, this person manages these people. They're responsible for what these people do. Um, I, I, I think that's super important if, if we're not going to be here every minute of every day. Uh, Pat, Patrick, how have you, what have you done different? Um, or, I mean, you started out kind of, this is my plan, but how, how do you empower your people? Well, um, you know, I, I started off uh, with a lot of training. Um, you know, the way I look at it is my job is to create the vision, like Tom said, you know, hey, this is where we're going. This is who we are. Uh, this, is, this is why we do what we do, okay? And then, and then getting your staff to to believe it. And, and, and I like to, I like to allow my people to make mistakes, even though sometimes it costs me money. Um, but those are the lessons that I always remembered, right? When I, when I made mistakes and, uh, and I never ever, uh, berate my people for making mistakes. I want them to make mistakes. This is how we learn. Right. And, and, you know, there's been times where I've had to have multiple people doing one job because my, my manager at the time was not quite ready to do that particular job. The and, whole thing. Uh, yeah. So, so, and, and it took, it took, you know, it took time and, uh, and it took patience, but, but if I wanted to achieve my, my goal, my personal goal for freedom from the business that would run itself, um, those are some of the sacrifices you have to make. And, uh, you know, um, I always, with all of my staff, uh, the, the, the biggest thing is every mistake in the business I own, it's mine. It's, it's due to lack of training. Uh, I didn't train them well enough. I didn't teach them well enough. I didn't give them the right, proper tools, whatever it was, right? Those are, those are mine. And every success is theirs. Uh, every, every attaboy is theirs. And, and, and for me, uh, I think culture is king in any business. And if you have the right culture and the right training and uh, have a clear vision uh, and you, you can get your people to follow along. And, and I like to, I like to say, look, this is, this is what I want. 
this is this is where we're going. Uh, you guys figure out how to get there. Uh, I want them to create the processes around how to get there because then they own it and, and it gives them buy-in in, in the business. It gives them a stake in the business. And that's a, that's a, a cultural thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, that ownership. When you can create that ownership with your staff, uh, it changes the game. It's, it's, yep. it's a severe game changer. And I don't think, I think too many shop owners are holding on too tight to everything to allow that ownership from the rest of the people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, if shop owners would, would realize if you create that great vision and you have a good org chart and you know who's responsible for what and you're talking about your goals and you're paying attention, people, most of the people are going to step up. And the ones that aren't going to step up, you let them step out. Mm-hmm. And you bring somebody in that's going to step up. <clears throat> talking about mistakes, gotta got to ask... Tell me one of the big ones that's happened uh, uh, by your staff in your business. What's a, what's a big mistake? Um, so let's uh, let's start with Seth. He's got that uh, that smile on his face. I, yeah, I mean we've 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 made more than my share of them. Obviously, my second my first foray into a second shop didn't work so well, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it was org chart related and management related, and didn't have the proper people in place and you know, cost myself a lot of time and money with that second one. Um, but yeah, I mean, our, you know, our people make mistakes probably daily, weekly, monthly. I mean, we, you know, we promise we, a lot of it's promising too much and then trying to back off on that. Um, I trying to remember the last big one we had, I luckily haven't had any for a little while. So trying to, it's coming, I'm sure. The bad stuff disappears. I can only remember the good stuff. Well, Wouldn't no, that be we, great? We, we, oh, no. The, the last probably mistake was the one that we didn't follow policy and put one of our GPS trackers in a car, and the car got stolen. That was fun. Oh, wow. The loaner car got <clears throat> stolen without the GPS tracker in it. So. And then how, how – um, you know, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. But you live through it. Oh yeah, it, that's 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 the thing. And I want to talk. I want to talk about. I'm still going to ask the other two guys about big mistakes. But I also want to. Right after that, I want to talk about how do you protect yourself. Um, uh, uh, you know, mistakes are going to be made. You know, your people are going to. Ha- you know, things are going to go wrong. How do you protect yourself uh, from from uh, uh, you know making that uh, just completely destroy your business or, or impact your business? T- uh, Tom, tell me the big mistake and uh, and then tell know. me how you protect yourself. I uh, I had to really think. I live in Tom's fantasy land, as we all know, where I got selective memory. So I don't really, I don't really dwell on things. Thankfully, to where I don't, I don't really care. Mistakes are mistakes, you know. Uh, you know, we've misdiagnosed a vehicle. I think it was last month or the month before. You know, just uh, missed it by a mile. You know, skipped. Uh, my advisor actually. Uh, decided to uh, become a tech and uh, go against the tech's recommend for Diag time and just called it. Uh, it's, it's, we don't need to spend time doing this because it's this, which doesn't happen here and cost me about four grand worth of parts. That's a, that's a mistake, I guess, that, uh, that I remember. And then uh, last year we uh, got a little too crazy trying to push car count and hurt our average repair roof, which is one of the numbers we pride ourselves in. So, okay. uh, but uh protecting yourself for it I, I you know i don't know i remain i remain profitable to where if we make a four thousand or a ten thousand dollar mistake then it stings but life goes on right money's in the bank and you, you move on and you motivate the staff to make sure they make that money back for you and make sure whoever made the mistake you put a little extra lean on them right to, to make sure they help you make it back yeah, and did you and did you learn from that thing so this doesn't happen again, right? The next time you decide to diagnose a car when you're you're not responsible for that, we're gonna have another conversation. Yeah, we, did it's a little, be ugly. we did a little retraining and uh, it's yeah. all good. It's all good. We needed it. We needed it, I guess. They all pop up for a reason, but we'll yeah. we survive. And and that's kind of the thing that I wanna uh, I wanna talk about. All of you guys are you're you're not you're not pricing yourself at the bottom end of the market. Right, you're you're not the cheapest shops in town. You're you're profitable, and 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 having that money in the bank. I remember I got a call from one of my shops. They they made a big mistake. Frankly, they uh, uh, it was a little mistake that became a big mistake. They had an account two hundred thousand dollars in business every year. Um, they left the oil cap off, 
a uh, guy was driving over the mountain with this vehicle. He's, he's a transporter, transports people, and oil goes everywhere, the smoke, et cetera. And, you know, they get the car in, they they put the oil cap back on, they fill it with oil, no no big deal, the van. Um, uh, have it detailed, uh, get it cleaned up for the guy, not a big cost. Two weeks later, the transmission goes out of the vehicle. And I get a call from the shop owner, you know, what, what do you think I should, I know what you're going to tell me, Cecil, but what should I do? And I'm like, replace the transmission. I mean, you, you didn't have any fault. You didn't touch the transmission, but because of the other little mistake that you made, it became a big mistake. And the nice thing about that was putting a transmission in this guy's car wasn't a big deal because the shop is routinely profitable, right? That's, that's what they do. Um, you know, it, it stings. I, I really don't want to, but on the other hand, uh, um, it didn't kill me. Right. Uh, Patrick, tell me, um, Tell me how you protect your, 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 yourself and your staff and your company from those mistakes that are going to happen. Uh, well, it's just by being profitable. You got, you got to make enough money so that uh, when these things happen, you just take care of them. You know, we, we had a, I have a couple, but uh, the, the most recent one, my lead tech, guy never makes mistakes, right? Dropped a bolt down. He was doing something in the valley and dropped a bolt down in the engine. Uh, I dropped something down in there. I, I forget what it was, but uh, uh, he, he, he wasn't sure if it went down in the engine or somewhere in the, in the car, buttoned it up and started the car, and lo and behold, it was in the engine. So I had to, tap, put, an tap, engine, tap. Yep, had to put an engine in the car, and, and uh, the, lady, the lady who owned the car, was she's one of those nightmare customers. Uh, everything, you know, you, you touched it last. Uh, this is, you know, she's that person. So, uh you know, I, 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 I took that opportunity to have a teaching moment with, with my staff, okay? What do we do if we're not sure, right? What, what, what could we have done different? Pull the head. Just pull the head, pull the oil pan before we have to put an engine in it. It's cheaper to do that, right? It only costs a little bit of labor. Um, and, and, and they learned from it. And, nobody, and I didn't yell at anybody. Nobody got in trouble. It's, stuff's going to happen. I mean, as a tech... I did stuff like that, you know, things happen. Uh, and the other, the other one that, that really sticks with me is, um, you know, when I was teaching, when I was teaching my, my now manager uh, how to be a service advisor, uh, we lost a lot of customers for lack of communication. And I, you know, continually was training him daily. We, you know, every day we would go over the day, what happened, what kind of mistakes were made, and then we would talk about it and we'd do trainings on it. And, uh, you know, we lost quite a few customers when he was being trained because he didn't communicate very well with the customers. He didn't keep them up to date. Uh, and, uh, and we lost quite a few people from that because they, people want to know what's going on with their car and keep, you know, if we got to keep it overnight, he wouldn't call them. And so some of these things were costly mistakes, you know, um, but it's okay because that's how you learn. And today, he's a fantastic manager. You know, he, he, he never calls me. He handles everything uh, unless, unless it's just outside of his, you know, wheelhouse. Uh, so I rarely get calls from him anymore. But, you know, that's, that's how we learn, right? Okay. Um, we're at the midpoint. I just a little past it. Uh, this is the commercial point. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about company culture and how important it is uh, uh, if you want to not be at your shop every five minutes and you want your people to be happier. Um, we have a class here at the Institute in Ogden on August the 17th and 18th, which is um, my favorite class to teach, and it's the company culture class. It's a great class. I think a few of you on, on board have been in there um, uh, to that class. Uh, you can register online at i4abe.com forward slash classes, or you can email us here at the Institute at i4abe.com. And, uh, or you can send us uh, something on Facebook and say, hey, get in touch with me and let's get registered. Uh, it is um, a, a great class and, and can make a huge difference in your business. Now, back to the, uh, uh, back to the task at hand. Uh, there's an interesting question here that, that, that um, was there any resistance from the staff uh, with you kind of stepping out of the day-to-day -day operation of the business? And I'm going to start with... Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Patrick this time. Was there resistance from the staff? Yeah, at, at, at one of my shops, at my second shop, there was, and um, that, that person no longer works for me. Um, uh, I, I, 
you know, my philosophy is um, we can talk about anything. We're going to talk about it. We're going to retrain them on the way we do it. Uh, if it happens again, we're going to talk about it. We're going to retrain them, right? Uh, and then the third time, uh, he just doesn't care. So uh, he, he, he no longer works for me. Um, there comes a point where you understand this is just not the guy that's going to be yep. on your team that's going to allow right. you to be where that's you right. want to be. That's right. Right? Yep. And that's okay. It doesn't make yep. him a bad person. Nope. It just makes him a person who's no longer at my business. They're working for somebody else. That's right. Uh, and not for me. Yep. Uh, but but let, let me ask you a question because this is on everybody's mind. It's impossible to find employees. Um, it's impossible to find technicians. It's impossible to find service advisors. So how do you get rid of somebody? You just you just do it. Uh, I mean, uh, we figure it out. Everybody else steps up. Um, uh, and in those situations, I mean, there's been times where I've got to put on my grubbies and go out and do inspections uh, for a day or two. Uh, we do what we have to do until we find the right person. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be held captive by anybody. I, I'm not held captive by my business, and I'm not gonna be held captive by by an employee. Uh, everybody's replaceable. Right. Yeah, everybody's replaceable, yeah. including me. You know, um, our culture in our shop, and I, and I say this to my staff all the time, this company is ours. It's us. It's we. Uh, so I try to create community within my business. Uh, so everybody has a stake and everybody has ownership in it, um, at least from a philosophical point of view. Um, okay. And uh, they all benefit from it. Uh, get, they get full medical paid. They get a retirement program paid a 3% match. They get uh, paid time off. Um, and I'm a small, I'm a small shop. I'm not a big shop. Like, like these guys, I have two small shops. Um, and uh, there's a lot of opportunity for those who want to buy in and uh, continue to, uh, you know, execute the vision. Uh, those people benefit greatly from it. Uh, those who don't go away. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Tom, was there any resistance with your staff? I wouldn't necessarily label it uh, resistance. Obviously, a lot of concerns. Just you know, you make a lot of changes as you're as you're going through these this process. So change is uncomfortable for most. You know, that's why I think that's why most shop owners that we work with continue to just do the same damn thing that has not gotten them anywhere for the last 20 years is just, just what they're comfortable doing. Right. Uh, so change, change is uncomfortable. So, so I, I could kind of sense that, you know, I, I think I've always been pretty decent with my staff of picking up when they're uneasy so that I can usually ease that tension, you know, Hey, uh, you know, like my lead tech that's been with me forever, you know, whenever we make major changes, he's the first one to be a little concerned and, uh, we have a good enough relationship. We can talk about it for five minutes so I can explain, hey, I'm changing this, and this is why. As soon as they know the why you're making that change, then they then they feel a little more comfortable and don't resist as much. The same with Lisa. You know, Lisa, Lisa signed on to be a assistance uh, service advisor, and, and now is, you know, through the transition went from that all the way to the the management spot to where i mean there was a little resistance uh more based off of just nervousness but uh for the most part i think the staff wanted me to get the hell out of the way and <laughs> let them do what what they can do you know so the resistance I, uh, that i see is more from the owner side than the than the staff side in the in the classes i've been in with other shops and the other shops that i've been into i think the resistance comes from us more than the the team in my opinion it's funny when you when you um you know you talk about say increasing pricing in your shop you know it's the it's the person or persons that are um talking to the customers that are the ones that are nervous it's not the customers they don't they don't know so I, I would say the same thing i would say many business owners probably the majority you know really struggle with that um you know i they just struggle so hard and it's it, to me it seems so easy to make that trans you know that transition i've done it so many times and i've helped other people do it um it's you that holds yourself back right it, it that's the i hold myself back i'm the only person that holds me back and uh i usually hold the people around me back too at the same time and if you ask kent who's you know he's he's the, the he manages this place for me because I'm not here very often. I'm often out you know working with clients or heck uh, going to Europe for for two weeks. Um, 
you know, I, I hold him back. If you talk to him, I'm sure he would tell you how I hold him back in, in different ways. Um, uh, uh, Seth, um, was your staff, was there any resistance from your staff uh, to you, you know, transitioning out of the business, Think if you think back? Um, a little bit. I mean, some of my staff isn't here anymore through some of that, kind of like Patrick's. Um, but no, not really, because we sold them on our vision, and, and a lot of them want the growth. Um, and frankly, once the second store gets going, I'm bored as, as can be already. And so we're looking at store three, and, yep. you know, um, my guys, they, they want it because it's upward promotion for all of them. And, and they really want to, they, they want to move up and they've seen people move up. And the biggest thing I see on some is there's, you know, some of these younger guys, there's a glass ceiling if they don't see potential to move up. And so a lot of our growth is driven somewhat by an absenteeism, if you will, is driven by giving them growth and, and the glass ceiling is lifted to some degree. Right. As to as me, they, grow, they like that. To me, it's amazing. Um, I think it's one of the problems we have as small businesses is, you know, there's a point where certain employees go, is this all there is? And if we don't give them the opportunity to see something bigger, and, and, and by the way, it doesn't have to be more sales necessarily. It doesn't even have to be another shop. It just has to be a bigger purpose. You know, Simon Sinek, you know, starts with why, why are we doing this? Um, I think when they can see the bigger purpose and if there is, you know, that mobility for them, they see that, that, that change. What I, what I perceive in a lot of shops is you have these employees that have been there for a long time. They watch the owner just hold everything back and down, and they give up hope. There's no more hope. This thing's not going to change. So the, the people that really aggressively want change and aggressively want more go somewhere else. They don't stay. And then the people that are like, I don't know what else to do with my life. I'm stuck here are the ones that, that end up staying at the shop. Um, you know, let's see. Do you think that the, you know, once you made transition and once the uh, employees were able to see that you don't have to be there every minute of the day and that they, they have real responsibility and, and kind of real accountability, do you think that that made a difference for the employees? And if it did, what, what, what is that difference? So let's start with Seth on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they definitely saw a change. Um, and, and they like it. I mean, if I'm in the shop too much, cause I'm, you know, there too much, they start to try to go, you got to go get out of here. Um, <laughs> go, go to your cabin, go, go to my cabin or, or get out of here. But you know, they like seeing me around saying hi to guys and stuff, but I, I couldn't tell you what's going on day to day. And, and if there's a problem, they'll, they'll usually go to Daniel. They don't even come to me. I'll see a problem happening in the shop and go, oh, that's going to suck. And next <laughs> thing I know, I see the guy walk up front to go find the manager and then I see the store manager calling Daniel or doing it. And then if Daniel really has an issue, it comes up to me. But um, Daniel knows how to get a hold of me, and he's probably the only call I, I answer right away. Um, I think that's one of the. I think that's a key. That's a key too. I think in in, in ways you have to make yourself unavailable. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do that. I used to teach the new service advisor for two weeks, like train him, and then call in one morning and say, "Hey, I'm I'm not coming in till one." You know, you, it's all yours. And, 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 you know, for a limited time, see what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not available. And you've got to make your own decision. And then you got to be prepared for a bad decision. So no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's yep. going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's as Tommy had mentioned earlier, it's, it's I'm the cheerleader, if you will. I go around and say hi to the troops and how was your vacation and how was all this and shake everybody's hands. I make sure that I personally touch every single. Whoa, whoa. We lost him. No, what we're happened? back. My, Are you my monitor. Yeah, my monitor fell. We're back. I we can't back? see you, but that's okay. No, I can't see you, brother. It'll come back. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I make sure I walk around and talk and, and personally touch every single employee in the business at yep. least, at least try and do once a week at each store. Um, yep. And that's, a, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Okay. Other than when you're gone for five weeks at a time. Yeah. And then, yeah, and, and then I'm, I still send them messages here or there. Your manager does the job. There, uh, you, yeah. Oh, we lost. We lost your video completely. There, there, there you are. Now you're back in a different place, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 Patrick, um, uh, kind of the same uh, question to you, if I can remember what it was. Um, uh, did, did we were talking about resistance, and now I'm talking about something else? What was the question, Seth? Help me out. 
that staff, white hair. Staff, staff resistance. To... Staff resistance. Um, did, did, you had staff resistance. We, we had that, that, that question. Um, oh, my gosh. I've completely lost my mind. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's move forward. Um, processes. Um, uh, Kent asked a question online. You know, a good manager or good processes. Um, uh, what's important? What, what are the things that you would tell someone who's currently in their shop wanting a second or a third shop or whatever, and also wanting to not have to be there every minute of the day? What, what would you tell them? Uh, the, what are the, the three things, the four things that you would tell them first, second, third, fourth? Um, Tom? Well, Gosh, I need, need a bigger list than that. But uh, so processes, <laughs> processes are the tools that every employee needs to be successful. You know, so without so you can't. That was definitely a trick question online. Like you just can't be this amazing manager and have zero processes and have everybody that works for them successful. Like processes is what makes. Uh, mediocre employee, great. You know, uh, I used to use the example with my team of uh, Wendy's. Uh, Wendy's here close to me. Uh, you can go to the drive-thru at Wendy's and they have your food hanging out the window by the time you can put your credit card back in your wallet and, and uh, put it in your pocket and pull up. Your food's already hanging out. And it was consistent at Wendy's. Um, and uh, I don't think it's because Wendy's is hiring the most amazing people you could ever find on the, the planet that just so happen to want to work for minimum wage. It's because Wendy's has a process. Everybody knows their exact. I've gone in there to watch it. I'm weird. Um, but everybody at Wendy's just has a very specific process, whereas you go down the street to, say, Arby's, and you can, uh, you, know, you can probably get 15 minutes' worth of work done in your car while you're waiting for your food to come out the windows. Same friendly faces, same quality of people, but their process is broken. So that's why I kind of lean a little bit more towards the processes have to be there in order for the management to even be successful, if that, if that makes sense. And a good, and a good manager will make sure the processes are in place because that's important to management. I'm yeah. not going to be able to manage if I don't have process. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Okay. So, um, uh, Patrick, list of things to transition or, you know, so we got, we got process. We, we got culture. I think we talked about culture. Um, uh, we, need, we need people we can trust in management. What else? Training. Um, so, you know, most, whether it be a tech or a service advisor or whoever, they're going to come into your business with whatever training they've had from other shops. Uh, that's their only experience. So there's got to be, you've got to indoctrinate them into the vision and the culture. Uh, and then there has to be training around that. And then it's got to be okay for them to make mistakes. And then we talk about it and then retrain. Um, uh, you know, I've, I try to hire people based on who they are as people not necessarily their skill set, because I can teach most people the skill sets. Um, uh, you know, hiring for the right attitude, uh, who may not have, you know, exactly. I've hired, I've, hired, I've hired a service advisor at one point who was a phenomenal salesperson. His life was a wreck, and uh, he was late, and uh, the guy was a nightmare. Uh, he only lasted about three weeks with me. Uh, but the guy could sell ice to an Eskimo, right? Um, but that's that's not what's most important if it, if it's going to destroy the culture and the and the and the business. Um, so there's uh, you know for me it's it's training. I you know constantly you know for the first year uh, with my first shop, almost nightly I would train with my people. Uh, especially my management, my sales staff, we would, we would go over the day, we'd listen to the phone calls, and then we would sit down and have an hour of training. You know, uh, when it comes to <clears throat> my technicians, <clears throat> when, when the inspections aren't being done the way I want them, everybody stops in the middle of the day, we're stopping, and we're going to do a training on how to inspect a car. Stop the assembly right. line. Don't, don't be putting stops. crap out. Nope. Yeah. Nope. There's a process for this. So I try to, I try to, <clears throat> I try to, I try to manage expectations and I try to create, like, these are our goals. This is, this is what we want. And then I explain to them why we have 
a process for these things. So they understand. So it's not just some arbitrary random thing. Um, if we do X, Y, and Z, we will achieve C, D, and E, right? And this is how we do it. <clears throat> and, and, and occasionally we have, to, we have to stop and retrain on some things, you know, because people fall into bad habits. But, but, you know, once now that I've had my staff now for a year, I, I very rarely have to retrain them on anything. Uh, it, it's, it's indoctrinated and that's, that's who they are. It's how they do their jobs. And it, it didn't happen overnight. But, but, but you, the main thing was creating an atmosphere where it was okay to make mistakes. We talk about it. We get it out of the way. It's, it's done. I never bring it up again. And then we move forward, right? Um, Pe I think that's people, key. <laughs> people have to trust you. And have you have to be able to build that trust with yes. them. Uh, because believe. if they don't trust you, they won't do what you need them to do. Absolutely. 100%. So I, wanna, I, I, I need to ask Seth this one question because, and then we're going to talk a little bit about trust, and then we're going to have to wrap it up because we're going to be at the end of the day. Um, Seth, don't take this the wrong way, but you've hired some people that uh, maybe a lot of other shops wouldn't have hired that, that, that didn't have the, the, the experience uh, in their background, uh, and you've put them in some pretty – uh, intense positions and you've been very very successful at that um so you, you didn't go out and find the greatest manager the greatest service advisor you went out and found somebody else in a different area that had some skill set that you liked and brought them in and said here you go um how have you helped them make that transition uh, a lot of it's training i mean we have them in your service writing classes which is helpful um but we do a lot of internal training um, it's, it's like Patrick said, we're going to train our guys and, and that's our leadership management meetings. And, and, you know, for me, it's a slower process. It was getting Daniel trained on everything and we call it drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will, yep. we, we get our guys <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid and, and once they drink the Kool-Aid, um, they'll, it, it's contagious. It, yep. it goes through and, and, you know, people are to some degree, humans are pack animals and nobody wants to deviate from the pack. If the whole pack is drinking the Kool-Aid and somebody's hanging outside the pack, they're going to cut themselves off one way or another. Yep. Um, and, and we just don't have a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I've taken some people that were hairstylists as you're referring to as Daniel, my current store manager. She was a, a food and beverage manager at a catering department, you know, and, and it does take a little more, more training, but they're good, solid people and they bring a whole different perspective. And sometimes it's stepping back and, and bringing people from outside the industry and they look, they look at it and go, why are we doing this? Or what the hell is this? Cause they've never been in the automotive industry and you can step back and go, you know, that's a really good point. And, and we make changes and sometimes getting non-automotive people in is the biggest blessing you could ever see in my opinion. Yep. I've seen that in your business. I've seen some amazing things from some people that initially you, it's like, okay, from my end, I'm like, why is he hiring this person? Right. And then the person comes in and they've got the right attitude and they want to learn. And all of a sudden they're doing fantastically. Um, so, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you that question. Right, I've never, um, been, never been conventional. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do know. I do know that my friend. Um, the, 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 the next question is um, trust. Uh, so, if trust is essential, how, how do you build trust with, with your staff? How, so, so let's start with, with uh, uh, Patrick here. Uh, keep it uh, to a minute and a half, Patrick. How, how, how do you build trust with your staff? Um, by following through, uh, being consistent and following through. I tell my staff all the time, if there's something that we need to do different or something we need in the business, tell me, we'll do it. Um, and, and, and then, and then doing it, uh, it doesn't matter if it's that or, or just having your words match your actions. Um, the, the other thing is when, when mistakes are made, we talk about them. We don't yell. We don't, nobody's in trouble. We talk about them because every failure is my fault. And, and I keep that in the back of my mind that when they fail, it's my fault for the lack of training, lack of tools, whatever, right? And I approach every situation that way um, so they know that they're in a safe place and their job's not in jeopardy every day. It's, it sounds to me like part of what you're saying is that there's ownership. You own it. You own your responsibility within yep. the business, and, and they own their theirs in the business. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, Seth, what, what do you do to build trust with your staff? 
I, I think somewhat goes back to Patrick um, and the, the greatest book you'll ever read on that is Extreme Ownership and mm-hmm. Taking Ownership for Your Stuff. That's a phenomenal book on it. But um, I, the one thing that changed communication between me and Daniel and staff and trust was um, really understanding there's a book called Rocket Fuel. If you haven't read it, it's, it's really good and understanding the visionary versus the integrator. And I'm really high in the visionary. And I was horrible at follow through and it created a lot of mistrust and problems with staff. And once we fully understood the function of a visionary versus my integrators and who's responsible to do what and create an org chart and defined roles of who's responsible for it, um, it really changed just interpersonal relationships and trust factors and and conveyed everything to the staff in a much better way. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if if every owner had an, an org chart and uh, uh, roles and responsibilities for every position? Um, that is your responsibility as the owner or the manager to make sure that those are done. And then it does create trust. Um, Tom, I'm going to ask you, and then uh, one final question after that. Tom, how do you build trust with your staff? Uh, it's easy. So uh, to build trust with staff and anybody, you make a promise, and then you keep the promise. Um, to me, it's no, as simple no, as that. No, no more difficult than that. That's, and that's and, and I think it goes... It goes both ways, though, too, because when, like, what I see is people come to class and they learn something and they go back. So we're going to do inspections differently. And they go, okay, guys, we're going to do inspections. Here's a sheet or here's a new DVI. And two weeks later, no inspections are being done, but management isn't saying anything. I think you've, at that point, you've broken trust. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say we're going to do it even if it kills us. And when we realize it's going to kill us, then we'll all get together, have a conversation, decide this is not what we want to do, and we'll do something else. But we're always going to do what we say, right? And, and I think when employees realize that you're always going to do what you say in the business and that you're not going to let something just slide away, there's, there's a lot more trust. All right, last but not least, I've got an owner. Uh, they're going to watch this. They're sitting uh, in their shop. They're, they're holding on to everything. They're, they're creating problems uh, so they can solve them. They've got employees that... Um, that uh, have given up hope. Uh, they're just there to get the paycheck and, and do the minimum amount to get the, the whatever the paycheck is. What is your advice to those people? Uh, um, uh, and we'll start with, uh, we'll start with uh, Seth on this one. What's your advice to those people? Just stop it. I mean, just change, change what you're doing and, and create the culture you want. And, you know, and, and the exercise we took when we went there is, we put everybody in a room and said, look to your right and look to your left. We're going to go forward with this company and some of your teammates may not be here. So, you know, maybe it's you, maybe it's the one to your right. Maybe it's the one to your left. We hope everybody is here through this change, but if you're not, you know, you're going to be on board or you're not. Okay. And, and you've had uh, back to the training. I have to say this cause I'm the guy, right? I'm the training guy. I'm the consultant uh, um, teacher. You need help sometimes. Uh, and, and you have to be aware of that and you have to go out and, and find that help. And if it's not the Institute, it's gotta be somebody that can help you get where you want to be. Yeah. Um, pa- Patrick, um, uh, what, what are you going to tell that guy or um, gal? Get a coach, uh, hire somebody that will help you on the path. And if, if there's a job within your business that you are failing at, find somebody who can do that job and let them do it. Okay. So I think that goes to the integrator and the, I'm the same thing. I'm high in visionary, but the details not so good. I have to have a, a, someone else. Kent's my detail guy, right? He keeps the pieces in place. He dots the, dots the I's and crosses the T's and, and you know, every good uh, visionary has an integrator um, <laughs> right there helping them out. Yeah. So uh, uh, Tom, what are you going to tell that guy or gal? Um, yeah, so I, I agree. You, you, you've got to have a strong why of why you want to make the change. Then you've got to have somebody uh, strong. You, you can't do it yourself, so you got to hire somebody or find some mentor to help you through it. And then it's simple math. The average shop has at least five people in it. Most shop owners think that nobody can do anything 100% as good as them, and that's all right. You need to give that up. So if you've got, if you're trying to do everything yourself, you've got one of you at 100%. That's 100%, right? Maybe you've got five people on your staff that can only do it half as good as you. That's still 250%. So you're still uh, two and a half times better. Your shop will be two and a half times better by giving the tax out, even if somebody can't necessarily do it 100% as good as you. You need to just kind of 
have fair expectations and uh, let uh, let your crew pitch in and help out. You can't do it all. Yeah, I, I couldn't do the fifty percent thing, but I think I can do the eighty percent thing. Um, you know, I, nobody. We're owners for a reason, right? We're owners because we got that super drive, whatever that is. And it's so difficult to let go, but sometimes you have to let go and let somebody be 80% of your 100. Or even if you're, maybe you figure you're 120%. I always thought I was 120%, but still, if I've got five people at 80%, that's 400%, right? Yeah, I mean, it, exactly. it, it's still, and I don't want to, you know, th that fear for me of being stuck in the shop overwhelmed me enough that it forced me into making other decisions and getting the help and, and doing other things. Um, I think for some people, that consistency of, I know what this is going to be like every day, it's going to suck, but every day it's going to be the same. And I know at the very least at the end of the week, I'm going to have my check. I think that's a bad thing. I don't, don't let the good keep you away from the gray. All right, guys, um, our time is up. It's been fantastic. I want to thank each and every one of you, Tom and, and Patrick and Seth, for being here. Uh, I think this was one of the one of the great ones. And I think anyone that wants to you know, start to um, spend less time in their shop and have uh, have a real crew that really understands and knows what to do. Could reach out to any one of you guys and, yep. you, and you'd be a big help. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank the rest of you for being here. Uh, um, we will have another podcast. Uh, you can find us on, um, where can you find us? Spotify. Uh, you can find us on iTunes uh, uh, podcast, uh, Podbean, and look for the, uh, for the uh, logo. And, uh, and you can download the other 29. Um, thank you very much, guys. Have a great day. Join us next time as we put excuses on the chopping block. Professionals discuss the industry's most common excuses and what the real issues actually are. And no, it's not where you live. Subscribe at institutesleadingedge.podbean.com so you don't miss out. Or find us on Spotify and iTunes at The Leading Edge. Join the Institute group on Facebook and get advice from other top shop owners as well as our experienced consultants. Brought to you by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thanks for listening.